Here's your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them, how they mentor others to achieve success, and more. Hello, and welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. This is Carrie Stamp, and I've got a guest today that my listeners in South Florida and all over the country are going to want to hear from. We have Rob Thompson, who is the owner of Waterfront Properties right here in Jupiter, Florida, as our guest. Rob, welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. Uh, glad to be here. Rob, you've been an institution in uh, the real estate business in this part of the county, North County in uh, Florida, the Jupiter, Palm Beach Gardens area, and pretty much anything up and down the Loxahatchee River. How did you get started in the real estate business? Actually, my mother founded the company about 50 years ago. I got into it roughly 35 years ago. I learned everything from her when I was a kid. I ride in the you know, passenger seat of my mom's car coming home from school. You're thinking, oh no, please don't pull over and talk to another person. And you're a little kid, you're hating it. When you get up and get older, you realize you went to the Joan Thompson School of Real Estate. It just became second nature. A lot of the stuff that we do today is stuff that she taught us ways to run a business, ways to think about things. It, it, it truly came from her teachings as a kid and all, even now, she's 88 years old and still works with us, reads every contract. When I bought her part of the business from her, I was like, I can't believe you just did that. You act like nothing happened. She said, well, you're not that smart. Now I got your money and I'm still and always will be your boss. So I learned a lot from her. Uh, that's uh, that's amazing. So your mom taught you the real estate business. She was a broker. She was a developer. She was, what kind of a career was uh, was your mom? She started off as a, as a secretary for a commercial developer and ended up in the residential business and started specializing in Jupiter Island. And so we branched out from that. I came in and specialized in the Loxachee River, the intercoastal Admiral's Cove. We kept adding different people that would specialize in different properties. Uh, Adam Brown's our waterfront guy in Stewart. My brother Paul's North Palm. Angela Boland is our Singer Island condo expert. And so we heavily marketed those people and made them experts instead of kind of a expert at nothing. They were, they focused on a very small type of property and it made them very valuable to their clients. And so as you've been in this business and this market in uh, North Palm Beach County, over the years, there have been quite a few changes. Take us back a little bit, 35 years ago to when you're getting into real estate. What was it like working down here? How was it different than it is today? And I would imagine that there were quite a few less people in uh, South Florida back then. We moved here in 1962. And at that time, uh, there was not a grocery store in Jupiter. It was a very small town. The phone, phone book was one sheet of paper. It was an entirely different place. You could ride a motocross bike through town. And it, it's massively changed. And 50 years ago, my mom got into it. There were eight brokers in town and no multiple listing service. If you wanted to know what the other brokers had, you picked up the phone and called the other seven people that were in the business. Today, there's thousands of realtors. 
and the business is highly competitive and massively changed. Uh, there were not million dollar sales when I got into real estate 35 years ago. And today they're very commonplace. So you've been phenomenally successful in uh, attracting buyers to, to work with you and your team. What were some of the ways that, aside from having specialists in different areas, which seems like it's a, a pretty smart idea, what were some of the ways that you're able to differentiate your firm from the thousands of different real estate agents that are in this marketplace? The, the biggest uh, secret in real estate is you list your house with somebody and you believe that the person that you're listing it with is the salesperson. And then behind them back at the office is a marketing department that do all the different expertise, whether it's website design or whether it's the photography video work, whether it's website building or blogging or syndication or all the different expertise. You think those people are back there. Well, the truth is in the, in today's real estate, 90 to 100% of the commission is going to the agent. Nothing's going to the company. So there is no marketing department when you go to these real estate companies. At Waterfront, we have 20-some people that are marketing experts working for us full-time. If you walk into our office, you walk into a phenomenal high-tech marketing department, and the homes get marketed. All of our agents are on a 50-50 split, but we handle all the marketing. Other companies give away almost all the money to the agent, let them pay rent and kind of house the agent, and they're kind of independent practitioners, so to speak. The majority of the companies don't have a marketing department. It's a well-known secret. At Waterfront, we handle all the marketing and all the agents do is sell. You know, They go out and help people find the right home. It's a massive difference. If I were selling my house and I found out my agent didn't have a marketing team, I wouldn't be too happy. Yeah, I understand. You've also added other services to uh, just real estate brokerage. Tell us a little bit about what some of the other things are that uh, you've incorporated into your business. The first thing we did years ago is we went into the mortgage business with a friend of mine named Bud Klein. He was a younger young mortgage broker, and we went into the business with him. After a while, we ended up doing insurance with Jeff Platts, First Florida Insurance. Then we did a title company. We added assured title. Then we opened up Waterfront Yacht Brokerage, Waterfront Yacht Maintenance. We own a boat manufacturing company called Bahama Boat Works. And all of the different companies, there's 10 of them, they all work together in, in one facet or another to give each other business for more of a smooth transition for the client. They come in, we find them the right home, we finance it, we insure it, we close it, we get them the boat, then we manage the boat. It's kind of a, it's private banking for the real estate customer. Sounds like the only thing you haven't gone into is the wealth management business, but maybe I need to uh, be worried that that's next on the radar. That's not on the radar. No. I'm, I'm too old. <laughs> Obviously, you put together quite a collection of different integrated businesses that can all feed uh, off of each other. Now, you've got a team, right, that works with you in the listings that you bring into the company or they bring into the company. Yeah, my personal team, I have five people that work directly for me that work on just my personal listings. And one of the challenges that I always have as an entrepreneur is building great teams and finding talent. What's your secret? How do you do it? Mine's not difficult. I just find people that are smarter than me, which is pretty easy and hire them. It, it's uh, the only, it's the old Henry Ford formula. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's the people that work with me are extremely hardworking 
in most cases, smarter than I am. I'm hiring smart people is the ticket. And it seems like every third person that you kind of run into down here in Florida probably has a real estate license. A lot of those folks might sell one house a year, if that, but they do have a uh, real estate license. It's a tough business to break into if you actually want to make it a career. If you were counseling somebody that was your age 35 years ago, they're just coming out of college or maybe they're making a career change, what would you tell them that they need to do to focus on their business so that they can make a great career and actually make some money selling real estate? There's a couple of different things. They need to pick a brokerage house that gives them leads. And the majority of the companies out in the market depend on the agents to bring in the business. At Waterfront, the difference is we bring the business to the agent. They get hundreds of leads from us, or they need to go to somebody else that has leads. And there's just not too many people in our industry that will spend the money on the technology because they've, again, given all the commission of the agent. So there is no fund left over for that in a lot of cases. In ours, because of the split, we handle all the marketing to get them their business. But they should also look at agents. If you look at an agent that works at different companies and you said, let's look at all the 10 people that went to work at ABC company last year, and let's see how much more business they did than the year before. That's the acid test of whether you go there that you're going to make more or less. In some cases, they don't, lots of cases, they don't make more. Does that company help and assist you? Do they coach you? Do they train you to move to a higher level? In our case, we have a half a dozen full-time trainers and a staff of 20-something that market you. That's very, very uncommon in the real estate industry. And are you willing to take new people that are brand new real estate business? And we try to avoid brand new people. It's just a lot of work. There are certain cases where you get somebody that used to be in your business. So they have a big clientele of wealthy people that trust them and believe in them. Or let's say you have a resident that lives in one of the big golf communities and they're the club's best golfer. That's somebody that knows everybody and, and is really kind of, if they're super, they have a super great network. We can teach them the real estate side. If they don't have a network or the real estate side, that's a little difficult. You're trying to really invent someone. So Rob, without giving away the secret sauce in the marketing that you do, and I get your postcards every once in a while at my house that says uh, waterfront property sold, whatever beautiful house it was, it was fairly close to mine. How do you get the leads for the people? What types of marketing is uh, waterfront doing that's different than everybody else's? It all stems around the internet. The internet's the one thing that makes these businesses, you know, the, Every buyer going to look for a house, they don't pick up a newspaper and grab a map and get lost. They go on the internet and search the type of property they want. If you're not, let's call it findable, you have to have your website rank very high for all kinds of different popular search terms for the type of properties you want to sell. If you look at, if you go dive in on, on Google, you'll find that most of them don't rank well. Investing in the internet, we won best website at luxury real estate conference in Toronto a couple of years ago out of 6,200 offices, investing in the internet and taking it away from things that don't work. A dozen years ago, we stopped using newspapers and magazines for advertising houses. Nobody looks for them there. We use branding ads, but we don't advertise homes there because nobody goes there looking for a home. We shifted all that money into when the market was dying a dozen years ago, 
we shifted all the money straight into the internet and stopped all the other ads. That shift and that investment is the secret suit. A couple hundred thousand dollars a month for a dozen years. It buys a lot of traction. Do you do a lot of this work in-house with your own graphic designers and programmers and web designers, or are you using some type of third-party service? We have uh, both of the, the answer is both. We have, like I said, the 24 people in-house. I think it's 24 right now, in-house people. And then we also have vendors that we use both in and out of the country for those purposes, depending on capabilities and and you probably have somebody in your office that knows just about every house that's uh, in your market all throughout Northern Palm Beach County. I would imagine you've got maps of all the gated communities and all the river communities. You're uh, probably constantly scanning those. Let's talk a little bit about where the market is today. And then I want to go back and I want to talk about how things maybe were 15 years ago when I moved to South Florida, and then shortly after that when it seemed like the world went to hell. But today, sitting in my house, I get calls probably every other month from some real estate agent that wants has, has a buyer that wants to buy my house. And my neighbors, if they want to sell their house, they don't even, uh, right now the market is so hot, they're just selling them within a few days. How do you deal with that type of a situation where the market's hot, the inventory's low, things would seem like they're just flying off the shelf? The inventory can be a little bit of a trick because people will say, well, there's nothing for sale. I live in a community called Admiral's Cove, and let's say 50 houses a year sell there. This, in the last 12 months, 104 have sold. You have to look at the inventory differently. It doesn't sit on the market. It sells quickly. Therefore, there's less inventory sitting available, but that doesn't mean there was less inventory over the year. Obviously, twice as many people got to buy a home in Admirals in the last 12 months as in any of the previous years. While there's less inventory sitting on the shelf available, that doesn't necessarily mean there was less inventory. Do you follow what I'm saying? I do. Does that mean that you really need to be ahead of the curve and in front of people all the time so that they know to think of you even more so? Disadvantage to a buyer when they're calling, say, their friend that's a realtor versus the market maker, the market maker, the person that's really well-known in that market, has their finger on the pulse of the market. If you called me and said, I want a house in Admiral's Cove, I can tell you what's coming available tomorrow. So let's say that the person's in Horseshoe Acres. Whoever the person in Horseshoe Acres or any community that has a lot of listings, calling people that are high in the listing area is to a buyer's advantage today. Wow. Just because of your friend is slimming down dramatically because it puts them to a disadvantage. It's the old 80-20 rule. Success just breeds more success. And probably in the real estate business, more like the 90-10 rule, where 10% of the agents are getting 90% of the deals. That's a fact. That's where the action is. Rob, go back 35 years ago. You're working for your mom. You're just starting in the real estate business. What were you doing then? Were you just pounding the pavement, trying to get listings and sales? Uh, I was doing what I was told. <laughs> she had you on a regiment of what to do and how to do it. But back in those days, we didn't have internet. We didn't have uh, a lot of the things that we have today. It, it had to do a lot of meeting people, picking up the phone and calling all the neighbors and telling them about a new listing that's coming available and, and, and giving them the opportunity to come see. It was heavily networked then. It's, it's a different industry then till now. You know, I have to say it was easier then with nothing. 
And you mentioned your brother, Paul, right? Mm-hmm. Who works in North Palm or sells in North Palm. You have other siblings. How many siblings do you have? I have three brothers. You have three brothers. So any of the others go into the uh, real estate business or just the two of you? Just Paul and I. Okay, fantastic. As you are thinking about what the future is for this coming generation of people that are going into the real estate business, how important is it that they are personally tech savvy or do they just need people skills so that they can go out and have relationships with people and be able to talk and communicate? You know, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people versus they actually need technology skills so that they can be online be doing things to market uh, properties online. Is that important? The, the, the good news about the younger people getting into the real estate business is they're already tech savvy from a very young age playing with an iPhone. Without the ability to be tech savvy, you're dead in the water with all the latest technologies and different ways of keeping up the market. Real estate is a game of speed and getting the properties to your buyers and knowing when they're ready to go look at it and and keeping up with a big database of people instead of a handful is the key to to success. Everybody's chasing your buyer. They're not just one person. So speed means everything and technology creates speed. You know, and I've seen in the 15 or so years that I've been here, Jupiter evolve significantly, Palm Beach Gardens evolve significantly. Now, for a a long time, I lived in Tequesta. Tequesta hasn't changed much. We really have seen almost every piece of vacant land that was available in the north part of county uh, get filled in that was anywhere near the coast. The traffic's gotten worse on Indian Town Road. I hear that all the time. There are still a few places where they're building towards my house up on Island Way, just uh, north of north of Indian Town Road. There's still some big size developments being built out there. But do you foresee a lot more development in this north part of Palm Beach County? Is there even room to build anything else? We're fairly, pretty much 98% built out. What what we're going to see, the change I believe we'll see is we were watching watching everybody come in and buy an old house and tear it down. Now you're going to watch them come in and buy a fairly new house and tear it down. It's happening where it used to be only 30, 40-year-old houses. Now it's not uncommon to see them come in and knock down a 10-year-old house. Really? Is that on the river? Is that, I mean, that's got to be at the higher end of the market, right? The river, the intercoastal, Admirals. We sold one of the Admirals recently. It's a beautiful home for $9,750,000 on the intercoastal. It's coming down. Wow. That's that's hard Basically to believe. $10 million teardown. Wow. And one thing that I've noticed over the course of the past year, because I, I talked to a lot of friends that might be in uh, the real estate or landscape business or the construction business, They're crazy. They are just so busy that it's hard for them to keep track of all of the high-end jobs that they're getting. It seems like at the high end of the market, there's tremendous pent-up demand for luxury properties, for improving your home, for remodeling, for buying new furniture, for all of those things. Uh, Redoing your landscaping, is that? are you seeing that also in the communities where you're working? 2020 was a record year for my personal team. We did $229 million in closed and pending sales. That was my biggest year by probably $30 or $40 million. In 2021, year to date, we're right at about $150 million in closed and pending sales. 
So in the first, how many days, what's the date today? The 16th? It is the 16th of February. So in 46 days, we are at 75% of the previous 365 days. Wow. And I, I'm sure a lot of those have come uh, in Admiral's Cove and some highly publicized transactions that I think that you were involved in, maybe that you can't even talk about because you might be under a non-disclosure agreement. All right. Rob, you uh, grew up down here. Did you go to high school in Palm Beach County? Somewhere? I never went to high school. I went to the Jupiter school until the eighth grade, and that was the end of my schooling. That was the end. Then you're out in, in the school of mom and working working hard. It was definitely over. I didn't, uh, I, I was not a school guy. Okay. You live the beach lifestyle, I would imagine. You're probably out fishing, and I know that you've always had a nice fishing boat. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't fish. I fished some back then, but not much. At age 15, I had a car detailing store on Cypress Drive here and did that until I was 25 and got into real estate. I, I wasn't one of those. I was more into work and stuff than I ever was into the normal kid stuff. Wow. At 15 years old, you're starting your own business. Yeah. Car detailing. And was that a full-time business? Like you're there every With day? Employees. With employees at 15 years old. Yeah, in fact, uh, David Schott, who works for me now, worked for me then. Wow. That brings me to a question that I ask every entrepreneur that I have on the podcast, and that is the challenge of maintaining some type of a balance between your work life and your family or your personal life. What's your key? How are you able to do that to maintain some type of balance in your personal life and your business life? What is balance? What is balance? That's I'll a get, good answer. I haven't gotten that one yet. I'll, I'll get plenty of rest when I'm dead. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, I do, all joking aside, I do spend more time off than I ever did. I typically before would work 100 hour weeks consistently. And I probably only, I feel like I'm on part time now at maybe 70. I work 4 a.m. till 6 p.m doing emails and sending texts to some of the people that work for us that are up early. And then I'll do six to 7 a.m. I do take personal time. Then I go to the trainer every day from six to 7 a.m., Monday through Friday. And at seven, I go to the club and have breakfast. Then I go to the office and I'll be done usually by six or seven. Let's call it four to six is what a 14 hour day minus the one hour at the gym. About a half day. And yeah. Yeah. And I have, breakfast, lunch, or dinner with clients most days. Uh, I would say I eat 15 meals a week easily with a client. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a phenomenal key. I can't remember who wrote the book, Never Eat Alone, but that was always a concept that I thought about that if you're going to have a meal, why not have it with somebody else that you can have a conversation with, maybe develop rapport with, maybe develop business with in some way or another. It's a total different conversation when you sit down and break bread with somebody for an hour, you relax and you talk more genuinely than debating a point. Yeah. And mine is often on the golf course. So that's my uh, passion. If I can get somebody to sit next to me in a golf cart for uh, four hours, if I can't convince them that uh, I know what I'm talking about, in uh, that four hour period of time, or at least make them feel like I care, then uh, I haven't done a very good job of being the promoter or the marketing person that I should be. I golfed once. You golfed once. Good. I am terrible at fishing. So you've got that going and I have the golf thing going. I've had my new Bahama for 
six months it has not been fished yet. I need to do that. Yeah. But I just right now the market's so on fire that there's just no time for that. I get it. I totally understand. And Rob, we met about a dozen years ago when we were both working on the North Palm Beach County American Cancer Society Gala. And you have been involved in quite a few different philanthropic organizations over the years in Palm Beach County. You're really kind of known for it and known for some of the things that you do for kids and some of the things that you do around the holidays. Tell us a little bit about some of your pet philanthropic projects that you think are really special to you? Well, the word pet would bring up Big Dog Ranch. I'm the vice president of the largest non-kill dog shelter in the world, founded by Lori Simmons, who makes me look lazy. She is uh, unstoppable power. They save about 3,000 dogs a year. There's 600 dogs at the 28-acre campus. Phenomenal organization. I have two of our own charities the Waterfront Way Foundation that does, we try to help people that have nowhere else to turn. They need to, they don't check the box for a different organization. Like the Jupiter School over here for the special needs kids had an old broken down bus, no air conditioning, falling apart. They had the most challenged kids riding in the worst transportation. So they came to us. We did a matching grant thing. The bus was, I think, $107,000. So waterfront properties put up 53,500 and the community matched the other 53,000. We ordered the bus and now the public school, they actually are using it today. Where do you go if you want a bus? What, what charity handles that? The same thing with the Jupiter High School. This coming season for football may not have happened. So they came to us and said, you know, what do we do? We're out of budget. When we went and looked at it, we looked at the locker room and we looked at the weight room and all the stuff that they use and saw how antiquated it was and said, you know what? There was space out by the um, bleachers. And I brought in a big client, very close personal friend of mine. And we ended up saying, we don't want to renovate your space. We're going to build a new building. We're going vertical. And the principal at Jupiter was just like, you're kidding. Right. And I said, we said, no, we committed to a million dollars in building funds, single donor, Waterfront will buy all the gym equipment and all the stuff to make it a first-class facility for the football team. We try to do things that, where do you turn to if you're a public high school? You don't have the facility for the football team and you don't have the funds for next football season. There's no fans in the stands. That means nobody's buying popcorns and drinks and you know doing ads and putting up signs and doing all the different things that raise the funds for the team to play. There's not going to be any new jerseys and with COVID. You got to have a helmet and jerseys and everything for each player. There's no sharing of anything. How do we fix that? We're doing on Friday the special needs class. All their appliances are shot. Well, that's not in the budget. They call us. We go meet them at Home Depot, pick up all the appliances, and drop them off. So we try to find those things that you can't go to somebody else and that checks our box. So somebody at Jupiter High School obviously knows to call you and say, hey, we've got a need or a particular uh, challenge. Yeah. What, what happened there was my friend runs the Jupiter Police Foundation, Dave Schultz. He was a Jupiter police officer. They were telling him about their problem with the bus. And then they said, call Rob. He'll fix it for you. And so they came to see me. I told her in the beginning I would be a donor. It kind of haunted me. So I said, 
We'll give you half. You can raise the other half. Then five of my buddies stepped up and put 10 grand each. The school raised a few dollars and we ordered the new bus. It was great. They put the new bus at the school and they put the old bus in front of it, had all the kids come out, you know, move that bus. They moved the bus and there's their new one. They're really excited about it. So you helped buy a new bus for a public school. Yeah. To me, that's amazing. I've had a long time involvement with a local organization called the Edna Runner Tutorial Center, which is so, in West Jupiter. And I know you've been involved in a, a donor and, and very, very helpful to the organization over the years. And we've been very fortunate that we're able to take care of the public school kids, the low-income kids, especially in the Limestone Creek area, after they leave the school from about 2.30 until about 5.30. Uh, normally, in non-COVID times, we have a capacity to have about 127 kids at the uh, tutorial center. And it's a place where they can get education from a volunteer tutor. They have access to a computer to be able to do their homework. And they have the Wi-Fi and the internet, which during COVID has been incredibly valuable because these kids, many of which, or many of whom don't have a computer at home and they don't even have Wi-Fi at home. So they can come into the center and get their work done. Helping these kids and helping the kids in our community, I don't think that there's really anything that's uh, more valuable than that. I do certainly believe that helping people that are experiencing health issues or medical issues is important to change how people think and bring them out of poverty. You really need to be able to be willing to uh, give them a leg up. Okay, Rob, shifting back to business for a few more minutes uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you a few questions because the success that you've had obviously hasn't been by accident. One of the things that I do at the beginning of the year is I sit down with my team and I do some strategic planning and we look at what's going on in the world and the market and we look at what our capacity is to be able to handle new business and make sure that we can service those clients in an efficient and very, very high quality manner. How do you set goals? Is that something that you actually sit with your team and say, hey, here's how much volume we'd like to do this year or how many listings we want to have? How do you do it? You know, it's a, the market's constantly changing, so it's a little difficult. Number of listings has to do with, it's more a market share. We like to control the lion's share of the big listings, which we've been successful at due to you have to turn up the marketing, the mailings, the services, creating the main way that you get that is by creating the raving fan. The raving fan becomes an evangelist for you and brings the business to you. You know, some people call it a bird dog. You know, the more you do for the people, the better off, you know, the more business that'll come to you. I, I go to a lot of different real estate seminars and different things and I had uh, the opportunity to spend a couple of days with the guy that was the head of Starbucks. He, he said something very profound to me one day. He said, you know, Rob, are the people that buy a house at Waterfront, are they having a transaction or an experience? He goes, if you're just doing a good job, that's a standard that comes. That's a minimum. He goes, they have to have an experience. If you make them feel good and they know you really care, and they have an experience, your business will build. If it's just a transaction, they can get that anywhere. 
So we've really, really focused on giving people a much better experience and proving we care by doing all kinds of things besides just selling them a house and going home from before the before the uh, sale to well after we stay with them for years. Anything they need, they need a new roof or you know anything they could they can think of they need, we help them with it. You want to make sure that uh, you maintain that relationship, that you nurture that relationship because you never know who your next client is going to come from. Everybody has, to, if they've got a good feeling about Rob Thompson and waterfront properties, they're going to want to tell their friends. It's that attitude of gratitude that makes the difference. Yeah. As you think about business owners in general, or business owners, even in the real estate business, what do you think the biggest mistake is that a lot of business owners make? In real estate, the, the biggest mistake I commonly see when we consult with other realtors and help them grow their businesses is they focus on the profit instead of the culture. Profit follows culture. When you do enough for your people and they know you're invested in them, they will absolutely, they'll do everything in their power to make everything right. When it's just a profit center, everybody feels that. It can't be a profit center. It's got to be a culture. It reminds me of the movie Field of Dreams. I grew up in Iowa and Field of Dreams was filled in this filmed in this little town in Dyersville, Iowa. And it's the old, if you build it, they will come. The culture and what you create that uh, you want to show people has to actually be real. It has to be something that they can only get from you. That is an experience like you just described that Starbucks, you don't walk into Starbucks because you want a cup of coffee. You walk into Starbucks, as you were talking about, for the experience. And if you want your latte double hot with extra foam, they'll do it for you. So will my firm and so will your firm, which I think is probably a big part of the secret sauce. Rob, I call the podcast Business in Paradise. And the reason I call it Business in Paradise is because I'm one of the transplants. I've been here 15 years. I feel like I'm almost a native, but I also feel like I live in paradise. At some point, everybody that moved here had to move here because we really, really loved it. And I had a choice. I chose to actually move down to this area. What do you like about working in this environment, working in this area, in this uh, beautiful place with people that uh, are phenomenally successful? How, how would you define it? What, what's it mean to you? You know, our, our market's very unique. We're the closest to the Gulf Stream. If you go to other places where the Gulf Stream moves away from the coast, they lose the turquoise blue water and they have brown water. Here, it's like the Bahamas. That turquoise blue water, when you drive over the bridge or you drive by the inlet or drive by the beach, go to the sandbar, that blue water is magical. That's a whole different experience than going to some place where it's brown water. And while it sounds very simple, between that and the lighthouse and everything, it's such a magical setting that we have here. We're bordered by an 11,000 acre state park, which is unmatched anywhere. They're just bordered by more construction and more people and more density. We have the river to the west, the Lakshachi River to the north, the ocean to the east. Three sides of us is a natural border that can't be duplicated in other markets. It just, it's a, it's a geographical difference. It's undeniable. The density is what the density is, and it's not going to change. Will they knock down houses and build new ones? Yeah, absolutely. But are we going to create more people to live in Tequesta? No. Admiral's Cove is what it is. You can't cut another house into it. 
So what you see is what you get, only the age of the, the vertical is gonna change. It's, it's an undeniable advantage compared to other markets. And as we're finding out, if you wanna be fortunate enough to live in this community, the price keeps going up. For your business and for my business, uh, that's both a very, very good thing. Bye now. Yeah, and your thought about the blue water, as I was driving over the A1A bridge yesterday going south, I was looking out at the water and yesterday it was so clear. And 90% of the time, I would say, we've got this beautiful blue water. No question about it. If I get in my boat and I want to go to the sandbar, I'm going to the sandbar that's close to the intercoastal, right by the inlet, because the water is so pure, it's so blue, and it's absolutely beautiful. So we're fortunate in that regard. Rob, you have been a uh, phenomenal guest today. Thank you for your time and for sharing some of the secrets of waterfront properties and your success. You've also been somebody that over the years that I've admired all the charitable things that you've done in the community. So thank you for joining me today on Business in Paradise. Rob Thompson with Waterfront Properties. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principal Wealth Advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Carrie Stamp and Company is located at 110 Bridge Road to Cuesta, Florida, 33469. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Thank you.